and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One hundred years and one week from the end of World War I, our 2018 cohort of Queensland school leavers will be on their way, their pursuit of the good life unfettered from the constraints of school. As one young man said to me a few weeks ago, I can't wait to wait to make my own decisions without others telling me what to do. I nodded and said to him, I hope that goes really well for you. <laughs> I meant it, truly, I did. What is the good life that, like us, our school leavers are so desirous of finding? If you're a baby boomer and finished school in the 60s or 70s, your idea of the, of the good life might be, will be, very different from that of today's school leavers, or indeed a school leaver in 1918. For Aristotle and those that he influenced, which is most of us, the good life means the life that one would like to live. In these terms, the good life means happiness or flourishing. We are wired to pursue the good life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and rob and destroy. I have come that they may have life, that we may have life and have it abundantly. It's sadly, as we look around in this most affluent and peaceful of times and places, happiness, flourishing, and a sense of abundant life can seem elusive. I wonder why that is. This recent magazine produced for school leavers called The Road Ahead addresses all the big ticket items on their agenda. Goals and dealing with failure, managing anxiety, sex and sexuality, where is God when bad things happen, social justice, body image and so on. But prefacing these discussions is a page headed, The Three Big Questions. Who am I? Who am I becoming and where am I going? And who will travel with me? These questions lie at the core of being human. How we respond makes a difference to our capacity to experience Jesus' invitation to enjoy an abundant life. It amazes me that these questions being asked of school leavers in 2018 as a pathway to flourishing are the same questions Ruth navigates in the 3,000-year-old story that we're considering today. I'm reminded of these words from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Alice asked the Cheshire cat, who was sitting in a tree, what road do I take? The cat asked, where do you want to go? I don't know, Alice answered. Then, said the cat, it really doesn't matter, does it? Ruth, on the other hand, had decided where she wanted to go and with whom. Do not press me to leave you, Ruth had said to Naomi, or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, your God, my God. While her losses had been significant, Ruth the Moabite wasn't constrained by them. In the face of having married into an Israelite family, 
the subsequent death of her father-in-law and 10 years later her brother-in-law and husband, Ruth chooses to retain her new identity and her new way of life and worship. Ruth's heart was captivated by the God of her in-laws, the God of Israel. Rather than doubting the legitimacy of her belonging, she sets her heart on becoming a participant in the life of this God and this God's people. She's forward-looking, embracing her new present, despite its differentness, shaped by her losses. From the moment we meet Ruth and engage in her story, there's a question hanging. Who do I love and who am I becoming? The narrative of this beautifully crafted and poignant story could easily hark back to what was given the dislocation and bereavement experienced by Ruth and Naomi. In fact, consistent with human nature, Naomi does for a time look back, and this seems a necessary part of her healing. When Naomi decided to return from Moab to Judah, she insisted that her daughters-in-law return to their place of origin, but of course Ruth chooses to do otherwise. And on her return to Bethlehem, her home, Naomi is drawn to that important place of lament. Woe is me, wails Naomi. Don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara. God has made my life bitter. I had everything when I left Bethlehem, but the Lord has brought me back with nothing. How can you still call me Naomi when God has turned against me and made my life so hard? Once Naomi has lamented, she's free to move on and to acknowledge that in fact she's not alone, that God has not left her bereft and empty. Naomi opens herself to being filled once more, recognising God's provision in Ruth's loyal and loving heart. Both Ruth and Naomi recognise that their intentional, life-affirming actions are the pathway to their becoming When Ruth initiates the betrothal process with Boaz, she knows that she's on a path that will provide an opportunity for Ruth and Naomi's lives to continue. How we live matters. What we do makes a difference in propelling us in the direction that our heart is oriented. Ultimately, we worship who or what we love. The language of the book of Ruth is rich with verbs of agency, provision, and active participation in God's invitation to the good life. Going, coming, gleaning, working, and acting move Naomi and Ruth's story forward. So why does this simple, ancient story about loyalty, family, and faith engage us as it does? How does it help us in our journey of life and faith? James K.A. Smith argues that contrary to the focus of many in education and even in the church today, human beings are not brains on sticks. Our school leavers are not primarily walking, talking, information processing problem solvers, and neither are we. At our core, we are lovers, people who desire the good life, desire good relationships 
and desire and desire to do good things. Ultimately, as Augustine said so eloquently, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God and in God's purposes. Who am I? The question posed to our school leavers. Without a clear sense of who you are, you tend to settle in life for whatever happens. If you feel insecure or unsure of your worth and value, then you'll often put up with inferior treatment. So many times young people put up with toxic or even abusive relationships because they're not sure how to stand up for what they truly deserve. Our culture tries to build self-worth on a foundation of what you look like, your social status, fame or popular appeal. It's flimsy. If you lose your looks or lose your audience, then it's all over. It also generates so much anxiety because it's so vulnerable to change and, and being taken away. A Christian approach is different. Your value, dignity and worth only come from one place. It's a place that can never be threatened. It comes from the simple fact that you were created in the image of God. The Bible is relentless on this point. The value, dignity and worth of every human person simply come from the fact that God created you. God wanted you. You're a child of God and you're loved for that one reason. Nothing can ever take it away from you. The story of Ruth is a story of love and redemption. Our son Greg is a movie maker. He tells me that every film, every movie is about redemption. That's the underlying theme in any film that we go and see. It in, this story of Ruth engages a full gamut of human and divine love made possible through redemptive action. It echoes the ache of all our hearts in the midst of whatever dislocation and bereavement we find ourselves and offers the possibility of love and abundant life despite loss. When have you been compelled to ask, who is the God I do or don't believe in? How can I live in more life-giving ways? The story of Ruth and Naomi is brought to a wonderful resolution through the devotion of Boaz, Ruth's kinsman redeemer, Boaz acts as a redeemer in two ways. Firstly, he buys back the field that belonged to Ruth's father-in-law. And secondly, he becomes husband to the wife of his deceased relative in order to produce heirs for him. The tenderness and devotion with which Boaz embraces Ruth and marries her captures us. The birth of their child, Obed, named as King David's grandfather, captivates us. Boaz's name means, in him is strength, means powerful. Both Matthew and Luke's Gospels name Boaz as an ancestor of Jesus. Providing protection, family, and a future came at a cost to Boaz. It was inconvenient. It was costly. And yet his loving heart embraced the opportunity that Ruth was an outsider, a Moabite, was not a hindrance to Boaz. Ordinary people living ordinary lives and faithful to 
to who God is. Ordinary people living ordinary and faithful lives who join in God's work of redemption in the world achieve remarkable things that can foster flourishing and happiness. Who comes to mind for you? Who do you know who lives their ordinary, everyday life and yet fosters flourishing and happiness? I'm thinking of an Anglican school in the UK I visited this year. It was a wealthy school from a leafy suburb and it decided to completely relocate to uh, a community that, uh, of, of people who were in a very low socioeconomic um, situation. It was a very plural, pluralist community, very diverse in its ethnic and religious uh, makeup. When two students from this school acted in ways that meant that they had to leave the school, rather than see those students go to prison, the leadership of the school made the decision to redeem them, to quietly pay for their education in another school. They saw it as the only way for these students to have another opportunity at becoming someone other than a criminal, probably for the rest of their days. Ruth and Boaz demonstrate chesed, that loyalty, faithfulness and kindness that go beyond what is required by the law, the loving kindness with which we are loved by God. So how are you being called to participate in God's redemptive work in the world? How might your everyday life bring about freedom, protection or provision for another? In the 1950s, the theologian Frederick Buchner said, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Like Ruth and Boaz and like our school leavers, we are lovers, not brains on sticks. We need to listen to our hearts when we act with the intent of bringing our best, most joyful and content offerings to meet the needs of the world that we inhabit, our homes, workplaces, places of recreation, our community and wider world, we become participants in God's redemptive work. This is the good life, the abundant life that we are called to inhabit. So for the young man who is done taking his instructions from others, I pray that he discovers the joy of finding space to listen to his heart and not the world around him and not the voices of unhelpful family, uh, people in his family and to follow the life-giving call to serve that lies deep within him. Boaz was a type of Jesus Christ who fulfilled his life's calling in becoming the Redeemer kinsman not only for his Jewish kinspeople but for the whole human family. Jesus invites us to seek him out, as Ruth did Boaz, and to join our lives to his redemptive work in the world. This remarkable vision of kinship reaches across boundaries and invites a more expansive construction of community. Who do I love? Who am I becoming? As we continue our journey in this place as God's people known for our relationships, 
What kind of relationships are we fostering? Are we inviting people to join our community because we love them or because we don't want to be lonely on Sunday mornings? Are we open to the diversity of people who God has called to participate in God's redemptive work and might occupy the seat beside us? Ruth's place in David's line is included in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, joined by Tamar, Rahab, and the wife of Uriah. These women of questionable repute and non-Israelite descent prepare the way for the scandal of Jesus' origins and ultimately the gospel's inclusion of all peoples and nations. Who do you love and who are you becoming? Who are your people? Who is your God? Advent is just around the corner, the season of waiting for the coming of the other important baby born in Bethlehem to be the redeemer for the whole family of God. Have you met Jesus Christ, your kinsman redeemer, whose devotion, protection and provision have set you in God's family and provided you with a hope and a future, no matter how deep your sense of loss or dislocation? In him we have life and the forgiveness of sins. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He has given everything so that he can be. Jesus said, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The ultimate in redemptive actions. You are my friends, Jesus said, if you do what I command you. That is, to love one another as God has loved us. Loving God as we know God to be through the redeeming one, Jesus Christ, is the fulfilment of our becoming. That's who we're called to be. We encounter the good life when we join with God in the redemptive work in God's world. Amen.